Thanks for tuning into the Life in the Front Office podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks to Suja Organic for their support. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office podcast, powered by Sujo Organic. Really excited to have today's guest on and Ryan Ellis, CEO of Travis Matthew. And, you know, when I first thought about having Ryan on, you know, they, they're obviously in the sports space from a golf perspective, lifestyle brand, uh, but they've done some neat ambassadorships uh, as of late, John Rahm and, and, and a team of golfers. And then uh, we'll get into something with Chris Pratt, uh, where, where that one came from, but, you know, benefiting Special Olympics and uh, just a lot of cool things that Ryan's been able to accomplish, but also want to dive into his story and how he got there. So Ryan, uh, welcome. Thank you, Jake. Happy to be here. So let's talk about how you even get to the CEO seat. You know, one of one of our co-hosts, uh, Andy Dolich, will say, well, you know, when he was president of multiple sports organizations, he'd ask, like, how do I get the president? And one of the guys that was president at the time said, well, you can't be president if you're not president. And he's like, what? Like, how, like, how does that make sense? So did you ever get the advice of like, you can't be CEO unless you're CEO? You know what? I never got that advice, but I think that rings totally true. You know, I, I started my career in retail and I, I had played basketball in college, um, was fortunate. I played a small school. We won a national championship my senior year. So it was like all the culmination of all the hard work I put in kind of paid off. And then I got done and I was like, oh, shoot, what am I going to do? And I realized I had no experience. And so, well, how do you get experience <laughs> without experience? Right. It's that exact same thought where I'm like, I interviewed at Quicksilver, which was in our building. I interviewed with 50 people and everyone's like, okay, great. You have no experience. I'm not going to hire you. Right. I'm like, well, how do I get it? Someone's got to hire me to get experience. And so I started my career in retail and I realized I never wanted to be on the retail side. I just, I wanted to be in clothing. I knew that. So I started there and then same thing. It's like, well, that's fine, but you only have retail experience. So you can't get outside of that. And so for me to actually get out, I had to open a retail store for a wholesale company with the promise that if I opened it, I staffed it, I could come on the other side. And so it's a little bit of what he's saying. You, how do you get there without getting there? And so I was the first employee hired at Travis Matthew. And I, you know, my six year career prior to Travis Matthew, you know, I always believed, and I'm not sure this is the best mantra for kids nowadays, because I think they, you know, everybody wants everything immediately, but I always believed I had talent. I had enough intelligence. If I just had an opportunity, I'm not going to ask for anything. I'm just going to go take it, right? And, and that's kind of what I did. And I don't mean it in an aggressive manner. I just mean I'm going to give everything I have to this brand, just like I did with basketball. And honestly, just like I did in retail, even though I knew that wasn't the career path for me. And, and so that's what I did with this brand is I gave it everything I had and sort of put my head down. And I, I did every job for the company. I, at, you know, for the first three years, I was heading up operations, heading up uh, merchandising, heading up sales. I would make the sale, put it in the system, pack the box and ship it, which, you know, sounds kind of silly, but, but, you know, the first few years we had no money and, and that's what it took. And then through that process, you learn, okay, to have success. I always tell my wife, like, she's like, well, you're doing everything. Why aren't you getting paid this or that? I'm like, babe, the janitor doesn't get paid the most money in the company. Right. Like, but I'm willing to go do those steps. Right. So let's, let's play the process. And as you grow, you realize the best thing you can do is find your niche. 
Like, what are you good at? Where are you strong? And go drive that. Stop trying to take everything. So I got about halfway through my tenure with the company and I sat with Travis and he was like, look, you got to get out of ops. Like operations is not your thing. And I actually really enjoyed it at the time. And thank goodness we had that conversation. I'd be terrible at operations at 200 million, right? And so I went on the sales and product route and best decision I ever made. And, and I, I tell people in our business, you think a CEO means you have to own everything. It doesn't, you have to specialize. And then for me, I hired an incredible head of ops, incredible head of finance and accounting, which has allowed me to have that success. So, you know, my story is, is a lot of luck, a lot of hard work. Um, you know, if I was telling other people how to become a CEO, um, I think it's that it's, it's, it's figure out what's your niche. What are you great at? Go drive that. And then also tell people what you're not good at. Right. I, I work so well with Travis because for me, I always told him when I made him and I made some big mistakes. I made some costly mistakes for the company, but the first thing I did is say, I screwed up. And that conversation is so easy. It becomes, oh, okay, well, let's do better next time. I absolutely will do better next time. Right. So, um, yeah, I, it is hard to be a CEO without being a CEO. And I think you don't, you want to be careful of being too ambitious. I probably wasn't ambitious enough. I probably could have taken the role a few years earlier, but I, I love the partnership that I had with Travis and he was ready to pass it to me. And I was, I wasn't ready for him to leave. Uh, and since he has, it's, it's, it's been so rewarding when you, when you're driving the ship versus being the passenger, it's, it's definitely a different feeling for sure. Well, you can definitely say you're a lifelong learner, right? Like I think, I think the, the notion of like being specialized in one thing versus being a jack of all trades, master of none, right? Like it, it doesn't necessarily matter uh, given kind of what you just said, you know, you could go and be on the sales side and be really, really, really good at sales. And that's your specialty, but then you understand how to hire good people around you, right? And you're able to move up the ladder or you become jack of all trades and you kind of understand the ins and outs of every part of the business. And then you know what's needed and you've been able to do, you know, for example, the op side or the merch, you know, the, the retail front, right? Like you've been able to do all of that. So you at least know how to have those conversations with people, right? And then there's just not one way to do it. That's the one thing I've learned. You listen to a lot of business leaders and they, they've got the blueprint. Here's how you do it. And it's just not true. Like there's, there's many ways to do it. And the next CEO of Travis Matthew could be specialized in operations. And he could hire somebody under him that's a product and sales expert, right? It's absolutely doable. And when I had a conversation with CEO Cal, it's kind of what he told me. He's like, look, you, you're running like 75% of the business. It's okay that you don't know this 25% that well. We'll hire for it. And I, you're a great you know, people manager and you'll grow that person. And so that's, there's, there's many ways to do it. And that would be the advice I give people. Don't box yourself into, you know, I have to be this to be in that job. You don't. Everyone can do it differently. What do you enjoy most about what you do? I, I, you know, the, the thing I didn't realize as president before I was CEO, um, I didn't realize how much I enjoyed our people and how much I enjoyed communicating with them. Um, you know, when the pandemic hit, which is almost exactly when I took over, it was like February, March, I took over CEO. That's funny that Travis was like, oh, pandemic, I'm out. But it wasn't that. Good, he had, good he timing. Owned, good timing. He owned two golf courses and it was, it was already inevitable. We had been planning it for a while and he was just, this wasn't his passion anymore. And I, I thought I would just, you know, drive sales and product, you know, I'm a, I'm a big product person. And I thought that's where I was. And I did, don't get me wrong. But the biggest piece I latched onto is our people. And I started communicating weekly, whether that's a video, whether that's an email, um, or whether it's an all company call. And, and we hadn't done that previously. And, and it really was gratifying and fulfilling to give transparency to our team. And they didn't have that before. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely 
very different than I was two or three years ago and adapting to now we've got, you know, I just, I started with this brand at 26, I'm 41 now. So I was trying to understand 32 year olds and now trying to understand 22 year olds has been a rewarding experience because it's not just for business, but like I've learned so much in life on how I deal with things, how I deal with people, how I deal with my wife, my family, you know, having more compassion, more empathy. So that, that piece has been really rewarding. And then, you know, twofold here with people, you know, we've had our head of marketing was an intern. He's been with us 10 years now as our VP of marketing. Our head of sales was, we hired him as a corporate sales assistant eight years ago, nine years ago. So it's really exciting to let people fulfill their dreams here. And obviously that's what I am too. But yet we've got people like our head of ops and our head of finance that came in. They're never going to have, well, I don't want to say never, but they're probably not going to have another opportunity to take a hundred million dollar business to a billion dollars. And all these people, when they're done, hopefully they're never done, but if they are, they can write their own ticket where they want to go. And so that, that's the exciting piece for me is like building something that externally, everybody's really proud. It's an insane brand, right? The product's incredible, but I want to build that in this building. So people walk out feeling very fulfilled, which at times is hard when you're growing 80%, people are overworked and it's hard to be appreciative of everybody. Right? So you have that feeling of like just constant stress, um, even though we're winning, so how do we get this feeling where we've, we've got balance within our company and, and, and our people feel very fulfilled? Um, the balance piece is the hardest one because you can't have work-life balance at 80% growth, but you can find balance. And it's trying to work with our team to help them understand what that is, managing their calendars, managing their priorities and making sure that, hey, but still taking advantage of, let's ride this wave, you know, because everyone's got opportunity. I think we had of 200 people, we had like 52 promotions this year. So People is the thing that gets me out of bed, gets me excited to grow this company. And obviously I'm like, I love the brand. I love the product, but, but people's what gets me out of bed for sure. No, it's great to hear. I mean, I think, you know, the interesting part, especially working in sports, right? Everybody gets obsessed with the logos and, you know, the, the, the Super Bowl, right? Like the, the bigness of things. And to hear you talk about people is really, um, it's interesting to understand that perspective because you maybe probably didn't have that perspective going through the ranks, right? Like that might, like you probably saw the brand and was like, you know, how can I continue to grow the brand? And it was everything about the brand. And now it's about people, right? It's always going to be the brand first at the, at the same time, because that is what you lead with, but the people are what's behind the brand. Well, I think I incorrectly thought I was one of the people for way too long, right? Like, because I was, I mean, when we started, there was, I basically had three bosses, right? We had a general manager we hired to do manufacturing. We had Travis Brasher, who worked at a country club, just doing financials and didn't come really on board for the next three years. And we had Travis Johnson, who was kind of the creative guy. So I'm working for three people. It took me a while to transition to realize, oh, even as president, like, oh, people walk into my office. They don't talk to me like they talk to everybody else. And it was a transition because it is it is a little, I will say it's a little lonely at the top in that sense for a short time until I figured that piece out of like, wait, these people just want to hang out with me because I'm president. These people like are talking to me differently. Like I'm just one of them. And then I realized, you know what? I'm not one of them. And I need to start acting like I'm not one of them in a sense of, you know, to that point, like it's, I need to start helping these people get to where they need to be. And, and so, yeah, the CEO thing ripped the bandaid off on that. And it's been, it's been so fulfilling. Do you have a glass ping pong table in your place? We do. I actually, if I walk right out here, I can see it from my office. We do. It's, it's, it's pretty unreal. We have two. The first, the first ever experience I had with, with your brand, I was in Fashion Island and 
uh, in Newport and I'm walking around and I mean, this was probably at least 10, 12 years ago. And I'm like, how do I, I and I, I asked one of the, the retail guys in the store, I said, how much is that, that ping pong table? Cause I'm a big ping pong player. And he goes, it's 10, 10 grand. And maybe, <laughs> maybe it's gone up. Maybe it's gone up since then. And I'm like, all right, how do I make enough money where I can have a ping pong table, glass ping pong table? What I failed to realize then is in order to have a glass ping pong table, you've got to have a place big enough to, yes. put the, to put the ping pong table. That's a lot more expensive. So it's, it's huge. And I'll, I'll give you some breaking news. And, and I don't, I'm probably not even supposed to say this, but because I think the lease is like almost done. We're taking the Fashion Island. Fashion Island's a 2,000 square foot store. We did 3.2 million in 2,000 square feet, which is insanity. I don't even know how we fit enough bodies in there. So we're actually renovating that store to 7,000 square feet. In the 7,000 square feet, we're going to have a really cool, like you think about ping pong table, we're going to have a full game area, probably shuffleboard, ping pong, pool, and then we're going to have a secret kind of VIP area that I'm definitely not going to talk about here, but that's going to be super cool. Um, so that that store is going to be our flagship, as is Scottsdale. We're actually opening one in Scottsdale as well, but that still isn't, that's in the works. That still isn't confirmed yet, but when next time you go to Fashion Island, you prepare to be wowed. It's going to be a pretty insane experience, and we've got a, an idea for a window display that's going to like blow people away. That'll be that'll be cool next time. I've come full circle, but um, no, I, I think one of the things you mentioned right was uh, the the transitions right and and managing transitions because that's not that's not easy either. So as you guys have uh, continued to expand, you know, transition from um, you know, to, to more retail stores, et cetera. And then you've got these ambassadorships where you've got players that are out there representing the brand on a national global stage as well. How do you go about selecting those guys? Like what, what's behind the people component? Um, and then I mentioned Chris Pratt when we first started, like that's a, a totally different area. All right. You're starting to get into the entertainment world. Um, what, what, what's behind all that? Well, so to back it up, pandemic hit, right? And it was like, okay, we're just trying to survive, right? We just got to yeah. like, how, what do we do from an inventory standpoint? What do we do eight to 12 months out to keep this bit? We know pandemic's pandemic. So at this point, it's like, if we have to liquidate or sell stuff, it's now we got to set ourselves up for 21 success, meaning we're, whatever happens the next, and we didn't know, is it going to be a month? Is it going to be six months? We were closed down for about three months in general. Um, and so, you know, bigger companies start panicking, right? It's like sell everything, get cash, right? And so we actually had a cash infusion, which was great. So we made great decisions for 21, but really 20 was about like right-sizing the business, right? And then we got, you know, a couple months into 21 and we saw the forecast and we went, oh, we're a growth company now, we're back, right? And I, and I started preaching to people, find a way, right? That's kind of like my slogan, find a way, we're a growth company, like, and that's a big diversion, even from where we were three years ago, we're growing 20, 30%, you know, no, 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 this, this thing's on a rocket ship and it's taking off. And I tell our people, look, I know I'm going hundred miles an hour. I'll slow down to 80. I'm not going the speed limit and do not ask me to stop. So that's where we hit. So we're February, March of 21. And I'm with our marketing. I'm like, okay, we, we need to stop thinking like a small company, right? I get, we were private till 17. We had everything's return on investment, right? We go spend, what do I get back? If I don't get anything back, I don't do it. Right. And so we got to start making some steps here. And I said, we got all these incredible ambassadors, right? We have a ton of guys in NHL too. Um, 
and and we need to sign a guy at some point. Um, but we have all these incredible ambassadors, and you'll see scene wearing is the term we use, right? So oh, some Wes Welker's wearing a hat, or somebody's wearing this, and it's like great. And my family thinks it's cool, and maybe my friends do, but like who actually knows they're wearing it? It's great that they do it, but we can't use it. And I said a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, right? He's going into our store at Santana Row in Northern California all the time. Like great dudes, always wearing the product, like for free giving us, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's like, why don't we work a deal with Jimmy? He's already wearing it. Why not talk to Jimmy and say, hey, do you want to do something with us? And, you know, it's going to be modest, but like, let's do something together. And then, you know, you've got a deal. So we're taking care of you. And in turn, we're going to ask some things to you, some photo shoots, video. And Jimmy's been a home run. Like he's probably as good looking as any model we could ever find. He fits the product well, but that was the idea. And I said, look, I want somebody in the NBA, and the NFL and MLB. And we got so lucky and hit a home run in the NFL, getting two starting quarterbacks, Matt Ryan's the other one. Um, and then in the NBA, Alex Caruso, he was with the Lakers, like total hometown legend. If you've seen him, he's got a million followers on Instagram. He's kind of like got a cult following. He's an awesome dude. And then Corey Seager, who uh, I'm not sure if you saw, but just signed like a $330 million deal. So that was the idea. The challenge you have, it's not just, you know, getting a deal done with these guys to really activate these guys. It's like two to three times as much, but we're at a point in our brand that some of the other digitally native brands are lapping us, not as a whole, but in e-com because they just spend, spend, spend. And we're not the brand that's just going to say, we don't want to make a profit because a lot of these companies put everything they have back into ad spend. So if our row at return on ad spend is like 10 to one, it's ridiculously good, right? We're not going to drop that to one to one and lose all of our profit. We're because we want to invest in our people and other things like that, but that's probably too high. And so the idea was let's, let's stop worrying about just revenue and let's invest in future brand loyalty and new customer acquisition. And so that, that was a big shift for us. And so pivoting to Pratt, that was a totally different deal. I, I did want somebody outside of sports because we're that sports lifestyle. And I think we did need that pure lifestyle play. We started trying to go after Matt McConaughey. That was like, you know, we, we were shooting for the moon on that one. The main reason why he had a, he has an incredible foundation. And my idea was, look, we're never going to afford a Matt McConaughey. I don't know what he costs, 10 million a year. Like that's not, that's not our business. And again, we're not going to give all of our profits to Matt McConaughey, right. even though he's great. So the idea was, why don't we find someone that's super charitable and maybe we can partner with them. And in 2020 pandemic hit, um, we had a charitable go of a hundred grand and we had layoffs, pay cuts, everything that everyone else had. And it's like, how do I donate a hundred thousand dollars to charity when our people are getting killed here? Right. And I came up with an idea. Well, what if we partner with Oscar De La Hoya, who was a good friend of the brand at the time and do a charitable sale. And we donate hundred percent of the proceeds to his charity, which is an incredible charity. It's a charter school, hundred percent underprivileged, 95% minority. They sent a ton of kids to college. We ended up raising 550,000 for Oscar. So really awesome. It's going to send a ton of kids to college. And then it was like, well, we're competitive, right? We're sports people. Well, can I donate a million? Like, let's donate a million next year if we can. And we got Callaway sign off on that. And so we went after and, and we heard Chris was a big fan of the brand. Um, and so we started that, that conversation. And, and we started with, hey, you know, what are, you, what are the charities you love? And he was going to be the spokesperson for the Special Olympics. And it was like, we love that charity. Let's go. And so that's what we did. We ran and we did a sale. We ended up donating $1.1 million in Special Olympics, which is a historic day for the brand and for Chris and for us. Um, and then he's, he loved it so much. He's like, let's, let's do something for the next year. Let's do it. And so I, I don't know how we got it done. Uh, we're pinching ourselves. Um, and it's the response. To it. And he's so perfect. He's, 
Travis Matthew is about fun and it's about looking great. And you can't do that better than him. Like if you've seen the ads we've done with us, he does such a good job of going like the Travis Matthew guy wants to look good, but he doesn't want to be the best dressed guy. He's not trying that hard. And he wants to make fun of himself a little bit. And he does such a great job of that. And it's, it's, he really embodies the spirit of, of what we do here. Well, I just love the fact that you've been able to combine the power of sports and the people in sports to then also do good. Right. And like, I think that's what it's all about. And if you're able to utilize the platforms that these guys have um, aligning the right message, right. And then also being able to impact people, right. At the same time, kind of this, the, you know, the message that we've been talking about the whole time is it comes back to people. Right. And so as you think about uh, kind of where you go forward, right. Like what's, what's next um what's even next for you personally from just like a hey how's ryan going to get better in 2022 that's actually a really good question i, I i'm not sure i'm gonna have a good answer for you I've, I've thought a lot about that and i've talked to you know some close friends that that we have a lot of business conversations about that what what is the next step it's hard to say because i actually had that question come up yesterday with a friend i was talking to and and it's like you know I'm still the, the the challenge of this is is so big, you know, to take a company from you know 100 million two years ago to, to 500 million to a billion, you just don't get that opportunity. And we grew up here in Southern California. We saw Hurley just go crazy in the surf industry, and I think they got to like 100 million. And maybe once Nike bought them, they got to two or three. So to be able to see that and then surpass that and keep that going, I think. The challenge, I think the biggest, actually, I do have an answer. Let me take that back. The biggest challenge we have is process, right? Um, you know, we're going to get there from a revenue standpoint. The only thing can, that can stop us is do we have the right process in place or is this place going to break, <laughs> right? And so mm -hmm. that's, we, I actually have an offsite next week with our exec team. And that's the focus is, look, I'm going to show you the revenue plan. I'm going to show you how we're going to get there from a product and sales standpoint. And, it, and it's going to happen unless pandemic 3.0 hits, right? And everything right. gets shut down. It's going to happen, right? The brands on that trajectory, you look at all the metrics in terms of sell through, we have the number one brand in all the golf places, number two brand, men's brand in Nordstrom. And so everything's going that direction. We're like 60% over 19 in our retail stores. So the brand's just, it's going. But operationally, we're light on people for sure, right? And we don't have enough people that have done the hundred to a billion or that have been at a billion dollar company to understand it looks very different than what it looks like today. So I guess the challenge back to me on that is how do I evolve as a leader where, look, part of my struggle from, you know, a couple of years ago was we also had 50 people five, six years ago. I could go sit down with every person, ask them how they're doing, talk about their family, understand, and then they understood me. And so when I asked for things quickly, it wasn't a problem. Now we've got, I, I, if I'm just being honest with you, we have 300 people here. There's probably 70 people I've never met because think about it, we've hired probably 100 people in the last 18 months. People haven't even been in the building. We went a year where no one's in the building. And so the challenge is how do I make that connection to those people um, and how do we build process and hire people from the outside while still promoting for within to have just like we have on our exec team, almost equal parts brand people and equal parts, you know, operational people that understand how to scale the business. So that, that's our challenge is how do we scale? How do we build process? How do we build an end-to-end -end strategy to say, okay, we're starting to build product. Who needs to know what? Who does it touch? And then go through the entire cycle to the end. By the time it gets in and we ship it, um, it, it doesn't sound that complicated, but it's extremely complicated. 
our business, we have about eight systems. We have our major ERP system that talks to our e-com system, that talks to our retail system, that talks to our warehousing tool, talks to our business to business tool, our sales reps use. So you start thinking about the, how complex IT is at this stage. It's like IT is a constant. And I never would have thought like five years ago, hey, you're going to be talking about IT for five hours of your week every week. But that's the reality. And as much as I say, hey, I've got guys on ops and IT to handle that I do, but I need to be very involved. I need to be driving them the right direction. And I need them to understand the customer facing element. Cause a lot of times you get into IT and ops and it's like, they just fix and they go, Oh, we've got great reporting. Well, that reporting isn't showing our sales team or our customers anything. So you can see what you want to see on your metrics, but it's not helping us understand, are we delivering the product at the right time to the customers? And it, it, are they satisfied with it? And so five years ago, we did it all ourselves, had our own warehouse. I could go pick a box and ship it. Like a customer's mad. I'm, I'm back there. I'm shipping it. We're good. I can't do that anymore. And I shouldn't be doing that anymore. And, and so, um, yeah, I think, I think scaling, you know, from an operational standpoint is going to be our biggest challenge, but we'll figure it out for sure. Yeah. How do you help everybody kind of understand what, what everyone else does, right? So they just have a little bit of uh, insider perspective on how they might be able to, you know, help or change things. Um, love the perspectives as a whole, right? Like process people. I think those are two, two things at the core foundation of any successful business, successful people, um, you know, that, that have that in mind. Uh, quick rapid fire as we start to wrap up, uh, we'll, we'll throw a couple of curveballs at you, but um, favorite restaurant in Southern California? Uh, well, I'll give a plug. Ola, they have two of them. Two Mexican restaurants because the owners are good friends of mine. Love Ola. But there's also, a, there's a sushi house I ate at last night called Kampai. We love sushi. So Kampai is, I'll say Ola for friends, but, but, and, and ambiance and, and atmosphere. But Kampai, the sushi restaurant by my house is absolutely incredible. And um, it's, it's, we love sushi and it's, it's healthy and uh, it's a great meal. And it's light. You finish and you're not, you're not like, oh my God, I'm so stuffed. It, it keeps you light. Awesome. Uh, favorite place to travel? We were talking about this off, offline, favorite place to travel. So Cabo for sure. My parents have a, have a place on the East case of Cape of Cabo. It's right on the beach. It's a small town. If you go to the town, everyone in the town wears Travis Matthew, because it's, it's actually a really impoverished town. So I give all my extra Travis Matthew clothes to the town. So, or they'll be wearing a random like Concordia university shirt from college or whatever. Um, but we've got, it's on the beach. It's a dirt road to get there. It's about a 30 minute dirt road ride. We have side-by-sides. I own two quads down there. We're down there. We never drive the entire trip. It's right on the water. We fish, we surf, we ride the quads. And my kids are 10 and nine. It's, it's, it's a dream trip. Um, if it was, if Bahamas would be probably up there if, if my parents didn't own a place in Cabo, but definitely Cabo. What's your favorite thing about having kids? It, it's a sense of purpose at the end of the day. It's really a sense of purpose to like, you know, you get stages in your life and, you know, I, it's like, okay, what's next? I've, I've, you know, we've partied for 10 years, you know, we're married for 10 years and it's, it's, you know, it, that they're so fun. I, I actually love traveling with my kids. I would say my favorite part is the excitement level. When I travel now, I'm never getting over a seven or eight out of 10, right? Like I'm always at that seven or eight half, super happy, fun. But I'm never like, oh, my God, I've never seen this before. To see their face when we go to a new place, just getting on a plane, they're just like the excitement level is like a 12 out of 10. And it just like it totally melts your heart. Like 
I remember those days. And so it just makes you want to do more and more. So I, I love traveling with my kids. My wife tends to say, hey, can we leave them on this trip? I'm like, no, I get it. You're with them all day, every day. But like, I love traveling with them. That's great. Uh, favorite golf course you've ever played? And, and then is there a course you'd want to play? Um, St. Andrews for sure. Um, and I've always, and I've played there three times at the old course and I've played extremely well. And I seem to birdie the last hole, which is like, that's what you want to do. You want to walk in with a birdie. Um, so I'd say St. Andrews is there a place I want to play. Um, that's a good, I want to play Bandon for sure. I haven't been up to Bandon. That, that place looks absolutely insane. And I'm just not a, a golf trip kind of guy, meaning I'd love to go up to Bandon and, and travel, you know, areas up there and maybe play once, but I'm not a, let's play, you know, three times over the weekend or twice. I'm never going to play twice in a day. Count me out for that. That's, that's too much time. And I, when you have a family too, it's like, I don't, I don't want to go spend an entire, that's the thing about golf. When I play golf, I used to play nine holes in my country club or maybe even six. Honestly, I'll go with my son because just it's, it feels selfish to me for me to take an entire day and just go golf. And then when you get done golfing, you're so tired. You're like, you probably had a few beers and you're just like, just leave me alone. So, um, yeah, I try to take the trips where we golf one time on the trip. So that's why abandon is not as much as I'd love to play it. I don't know that I'd go just because I feel like you'd probably have to play five times on that trip. Oh, most definitely. Like you have to make <laughs> time up there worth it. But I'm sure there's plenty of other things to do up there. Beach, hiking. I mean, I'm sure there's all sorts of other stuff. For uh, sure. last, last question for you. All right. If you're picking a hat, polo, shirt, shorts, shoes, whatever, you name it. What's the favorite product? A hoodie, 100% a hoodie. I could wear a hoodie every day. I actually don't, it's a best kept secret. There's two best kept secrets of Travis Matthew that I'm going to give you. Um, one, I barely golf. <laughs> two, I don't wear polos like at all. Like it, I'll, I'll wear a polo if I have to tuck it in on a golf course, which is once every two months. Other than that, I do not wear polos. I think polos look fantastic on a lot of people. I just don't feel like they look good on me. And I'm just, I'm a dress down, I'm a comfort and dress down type of guy. I'm in a t-shirt or a hoodie every day if I can be, right? And I'm in Southern California, so the weather doesn't, isn't like hoodie weather all the time, but I have lightweight hoodies. I've got heavyweight, I've got them all. So hoodie for sure. You can always roll up the sleeves. You're fine. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Or, or, or turn down the AC, right? So uh, <laughs> one way or another. Ryan, really appreciate the time, the perspectives. Um, obviously incredible what you've been able to do and accomplish. Excited to see where you guys are gonna continue to go. Uh, I'll look out for that store in Scottsdale and then uh, hopefully I get to visit that, that other one uh, as you guys expand in Fashion Island. But um, nonetheless, really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck as you uh, embark on 2022. Thank you, Jake, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And remember, if you like this episode or you like the Life in the Front Office podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really appreciate you tuning in and stay tuned for the next one.